Uh, I'm speaking today to anyone that's involved in any kind of a relationship, really, not just married folks, uh, but anyone who's involved in any kind of a relationship, husbands and wives and siblings, sons, daughters, co-workers, bosses, anybody in any kind of relationship. And as I was praying about this message about what scripture, uh, the scripture that was brought to mind was uh, Luke's writing in Acts chapter 2, Acts 2, 1 through 8. And I don't have it here on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to that and read along with me as I go through Acts 2, 1 through 8. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Can we all agree there are times where we feel like we're speaking a different language than our wives, guys? Yeah. Right? Ladies, can you, there are times where you feel like your husband or you are speaking a different language than your Amen. husband, right? Yeah. Maybe a coworker, you're trying to communicate with them and they just don't understand what you're saying. So how can we come to a place of agreement? How can we understand each other? I need the invasion of the Holy Spirit so that I can listen and understand. Say that with me. I need the invasion of the Holy Spirit so that I can listen and understand. Okay? Now, earlier in this series, Pastor Farrell spoke about listening. He's spoken about that a couple of different times. And uh, what does listening require of you? What does listening require? That you stop talking, yeah. first of all. One of the hardest things for us to do, right, is to not talk. And I'm not talking about just let's not talk externally. Many times when we're sitting there listening, what are we doing? We're not really listening. We're waiting to talk, right? We're waiting to talk. If, you ta if you're taking notes this morning, I just want to write down, have you write down the word listen, L-I-S-T-E-N. And you might have heard this before, uh, and I'm not sure who originally came up with this or made this point, so I'm just going to take credit for it. Um, when you take the word listen, and you take the letters in the word listen, and you rearrange them, there's another word that you can spell. The word is silent. Silent. Okay, so it's, a very, it's very helpful to me to remember that. In order for me to listen, I have to be silent, not just externally, but also internally. The presence of the Holy Spirit, though, is what binds us and allows us to get along with others and move towards a common goal. Left to our own devices, we are ultimately incapable of coming to a place of agreement with others. The same Holy Spirit that I just read about in Acts chapter 2, he's available to you and he wants you to have relationships that are led by him so then you can understand the people in those relationships and some of those people are the people that matter to you most. They matter to you most. 
I don't know about you, but I need some super on my natural relationships, right? I need the invasion of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit on my relationships. And if you want different relationships, if I want different relationships, the presence of the Holy Spirit has to be there. So let's pray. God, thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, Thank you for God for providing the Holy Spirit to help us to understand. God, I pray this morning that we would all hear the word of God and not wait to talk, but rather listen to understand how you want to change us, God, from the inside out. God, I pray I would be effective in communicating the word of God this day, and we give this day to you in Jesus' name. All right. Sherry and I want to talk to you about the one thing that has the power to change your life, your relationships, and really your future. But before I talk about that, I want to talk about something we all experience in all of our relationships, no matter who you are. That thing is conflict. Conflict. No matter what. No one, no one enters into a relationship of any form and remains in that relationship without experiencing conflict. Sherry and I like to tell folks that as long as you're breathing, there's hope. Well, I also tell folks that as long as you're breathing, there's conflict. So say that with me. As long as I'm breathing, I'm going to experience conflict. When we encounter this inevitable conflict, what's our first inclination? What's the first thing that we want to do? Typically, it's to point out how the other person is wrong and how they need to change what they're doing, right? Without exception, when I sit down with individuals and I sit down with couples and I talk to them about issues they might be having in their relationships, one of my main functions here at the church is as a counselor, so I sit down and I talk with them. Without exception, the the folks I speak to, they point to the other person and say, if they would do this differently or if they would engage in this behavior differently or talk to me or this or that differently, then my problems would be solved. Our, Our issues in our relationship, our conflict would be resolved. And, I, and as I'm telling you, it happens every single time. Because, I, I mean, that's in our nature, right? That's how we do things. I'm trained that way, though, as a biblical counselor to take people back to what the Word of God says about their situations. Sometimes when I sit down with folks, it's not the other person in the relationship that they want to change. It's God and God's Word. They don't agree with what God has to say about a situation, and they want to try to change his word. How many of you have been in a situation where you read what the word of God said about whatever you were going through, and you really just wanted to take a big old fat Sharpie marker and black out that part of scripture so you didn't have to apply to your life, right? Okay, you all look very holy, but... uh, I like to do that sometimes. I want to do that sometimes. I don't want to have to do sometimes what God says we're to do. But that's not a dig on us, right? That's not, that's not against, that's in our nature. The problems in our relationships, I mean, it's in our nature for us to feel like it couldn't possibly be our fault. This goes right back to the fall in the garden. What did Adam do when he and Eve ate the forbidden fruit? In Genesis 3.12, Adam does what? He passes the buck when he's caught, when Adam and Eve are caught in the garden having partaken of the uh, fruit of the tree of life. Adam says to God, it's Eve's fault. Eve gave it to me. And then he says, God, it's actually your fault 
because you gave me Eve. Now, that's a little sad, right? But at the same time, that's how I respond to it often as well. So I spend a good amount of time with folks, and I try to help them, and I try to help them to understand that they need to look inward and use Scripture as a mirror. The Bible is designed to be used as a mirror that reflects, you look at it and you see what in you needs to be different. But what what do we like to do? We like to take the Bible and we like to look through it and look at people and point out the things that they need to change about them or use it as a sniper scope, right? And, And point out, hey, you're not doing this thing and I'm not really pointing at the person I'm pointing at over there, I'm just, you're, you're not doing this thing the way that God says you should, right? We like to do that. If you read the Word of God, though, God, you'll see that God, that's, that's a, like a 50-50 deal, right? You're doing, I'm doing my part, you're not doing your part. God doesn't endorse 50-50 relationships. God doesn't endorse 50-50 relationships. People in 50-50 relationships are often a poor judge of distance. So what I mean by that is, If I think I've gone and done my 50%, usually the other person in the relationship thinks I'm at about 25 or 30, right? So God does not endorse 50-50 relationships. As a believer in Jesus, as my Savior and Lord, I'm expected by God to engage in relationships with others in a 100-100 fashion. Another way to say that is this. I am 100% responsible for doing what God expects of me, regardless of what others are doing. Say that with me. I'm 100% responsible for doing what God expects of me, regardless of what others are doing. So we start out in this conflict with this other person. And again, it's not just husbands and wives. It could be your brother. It could be your sister. It could be a coworker. We, we start ending that conflict, and we want the other person to change, but that just really ends up being frustrating, doesn't it? We want to make the relationship better for us or try to resolve that conflict, and we think we can accomplish that by changing the other person, but that's just extraordinarily frustrating. We can't change that other person no matter how hard we try. Can I get an Amen. Ultimately, we are the only ones who can choose to change what's in our own hearts through submission to God. When someone doesn't understand us, we try to bring conviction to that other person. And we do that in order to try to change them or get them to understand us better or to get our way. But that's not really our job, is it? To change another person. Who's the one that brings conviction? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. When we try to convict others, there's no room left for the kind nature of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you've heard Pastor Farrell teach before, is a perfect gentleman. Very, a a kind spirit to us, right? But we try to bang and barge our way into that person's heart and change them from the outside in, that causes them to be defensive and to shut down, right? They, they protect themselves. It's like they're under attack. They close up the gates of their heart, and it puts them on high alert. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can change a person from the inside out, inside out. If the conviction to change comes from within the borders of a person's heart, 
right? It's not seen as an attack then. Does that make sense? Okay. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can do this. And we might be able to fight him off for a little while when he's in there trying to change us from the inside out. But he's in there just working on us, working on us, bringing that conviction. So why is it so hard to leave the job of conviction up to the Holy Spirit? Well, that again goes back to our fallen nature. We don't want to give up our right to be right. We don't want to give up our right to be right. And if you can't say amen to that, you better say ouch. Our selfish nature leads us to be the ones who try and bring conviction. But this is the easy road, right? Taking that selfish way, that's the easy road. The hard and narrow path is the way that Jesus would have us to walk. The path that leads us to be more like him, the path to holiness. Satan, though, he always provides a shortcut, a seemingly easy way to your desired outcome that circumvents that holiness that God wants for us. Satan always provides a shortcut that circumvents that holiness. Say it with me. Satan always provides a shortcut that circumvents that holiness. He does. It goes, his, his, Satan's way goes around the hard work of sanctification. And what's sanctification? Sanctification is a real churchy word for the lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. That's all it is. It's the lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus and less like the world. Let me say this. It's easier to just do what's right. Jane sang about it. Do it anyway, right? It's easier to just do what's right rather than do what's wrong and have to go back and repair relationships and repair situations and deal with consequences so that then you can go ahead and do what's right. It's easier to just do what God expects of you in the beginning. God expects, if you do what God expects of you from the get-go, there's very rarely fallout. And fallout is actually our next sermon series that's coming up. Pastor Farrell is going to be talking about fallout in the result, as a result of sin. He's going to be investigating sin's devastating consequences by talking about Samson. Samson's, ugh, Samson's an awesome dude, man. He's got that hair going on, right? Killing a bunch of people with a jawbone. It's going to be a great series. You don't want to miss that. But he's going to be, he's going to be talking about fallout. Here's what, what, when it comes down to it, we really have two options. We can continue to frustrate ourselves and bang our heads against the wall, trying to control something that's outside of our control, or we can come to realize that we are the only ones who can control how we respond to conflict in our relationships. We're the only ones who can control us. So that leads me to the other passage that was brought to mind when I prayed about what to share today. Romans 2, 3 through 4. Paul is the one who wrote the book of Romans. And Paul was a guy whose life was radically changed by an encounter with Jesus. But he's the one who was going around killing Christians when he was Saul, right? He's the guy who held the coats of the people who threw the stones that killed Stephen, All right? This is not a good guy. So he had a real, he had a, a, a scales fall from your eyes moment and then wrote most of the New Testament. So Romans 2, 3 through 4. 
Do you suppose, O man, you who judge, who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and his patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Paul was speaking to the Romans here. He's explaining that they had better change their behavior because if they were assuming that God's kindness meant they could do whatever they wanted and get away with it, they were sorely mistaken. God's kindness is designed to lead them and us to a place of repentance, a place where we want to repent, to turn away from the behavior that doesn't serve to bring honor and glory to God. So just like conflict is inevitable in our earthly relationships, right? Conflict is inevitable in our relationship with God as well. And it's God's kindness and his mercy and his grace that lead us to a place where we want to repent. So if that's the way God would work for us in our own hearts, in our vertical relationship with him, doesn't it only make sense that God would want us to work that way in our horizontal relationships, in our relationships with the people around us, that our kindness would help lead that person with whom we have conflict to a place of ultimate repentance? So when you're in conflict, what does God expect you to do? God shows me to respond to conflict with kindness. Say that with me. God shows me to respond to conflict with kindness. Good. It's your Christ-led kindness that will lead you, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your bosses, whoever it might be, to repentance. If you want to see change in a relationship, God's word says that the way to facilitate, to affect that change is for that, if, and that and to, to affect change in that relationship and in that person is for us to be kind to that person. That is hard. I get that that's hard. But that is what God is showing us to do. His mercy, his grace, and his kindness are what lead us to repentance. Repentance is what allows God to examine our hearts and get in there and change us, right? That's when real life takes place, uh, life change takes place. That's when, when, when we have a repentant heart, we're saying, as, as David did in Psalm 139, search me, O God. Show me my iniquity. Show me where I'm broken. Show me where I'm not like you. Kindness is the key to repentance, which is what will bring lasting change to my relationships. Say this with me now. Kindness is the key to repentance, which is what will bring lasting change to my relationships. Good. I'm going to ask my beautiful bride to join me up here on stage. Can we welcome the fabulous Sherry? <clears throat> She's going to talk to you a minute for a minute about how kindness leads to repentance. You're awesome. Good morning. It's funny, thinking about kindness, and I think about the first part of our marriage um, when I was a very different person. And for me, kindness meant weakness. Kindness wasn't something that I wanted to be. I was a very strong woman. I was a very controlling woman. I, was, I had my plans. And it was in those first 14 years that Scott and I destroyed our marriage. It was in those 14 years that 
I didn't know Jesus, and we ended up divorcing on our 14th wedding anniversary. And how did we get there? We got there one step at a time. Like I said, I was really harsh, and I didn't know Jesus for 13 of those 14 years. And by the time Jesus' kindness led me to repentance, Scott was already so wounded, and he was so hurt, he didn't want to be married to me anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, he had some issues, too. He was a firefighter. He had PTSD. He was an alcoholic. He was abusing prescription drugs. And in January of 2005, he moved in with his girlfriend. Situation, I think you would agree, looks pretty hopeless then. That was pretty crazy. And Scott was very angry. Everyone around me, most people around me, were telling me to respond with bitterness and anger and to kick him to the curb, to leave him behind, forget him. I mean, after all, he'd chosen another woman. But as I got to know Jesus, and I got to know his word, and I just scoured through the word, poured into it, to find out what God would say to me, I stumbled upon 1 Peter 3, where he says that my Christ-like character could lead my husband to Jesus, not my many words. And then, you know, you turn a couple more chapters in the other direction and, and you find Proverbs. And, and it talks about how a kind word will turn away anger. And then you go back to 1 Peter 3 and, and you read towards the end of 1 Peter 3 where it talks about how you're supposed to treat each other and how you're not supposed to return insult for insult, but kindness. And not only just to do it, but because I'll be blessed by doing it. So as God broke my heart for Scott... I chose to return kindness for Scott's harsh words. And it wasn't easy. Some days he was verbally abusive. I mean, he was kind of a mean, angry guy. But I stood firmly, and I spoke kindly. And the cool part was it kind of threw him off. He didn't know what to expect anymore. He was expecting the old Sherry that responded angrily and wanting to control the situation. So he didn't know what to do when I didn't respond the way I'd been responding for the past 13 years kind of threw him off. In fact, it made him angry. So he pushed the buttons harder, right? Because, you know, angry people are often button pushers. He's like, I know this isn't her character. I'm going to push her until she gets angry with me. I didn't do it because I had chosen to, to dwell on God's words. And as I did that, I thought kind thoughts. And from kind thoughts come kind words. From kind words come kind actions. And your kind actions turn into kind habits. And it turns into a kinder, gentler character. It took months, most of that year really, for that kindness to lead Scott to repentance. My kindness, my relentless kindness, wore down a path in Scott's heart for the Holy Spirit. A few days after our divorce in 2005... Scott was at the end of himself, and he surrendered his life to Jesus in sort of a Paul Damascus Road type of experience. He was radically transformed by that engagement with Jesus. And as that new, kinder, gentler Scott pursued me, we worked through the fallout of those 14 years. And that's why I'm excited about Pastor Farrell's message. It just... We do things that lead us to places that we shouldn't go, and sometimes we know better. And even when we get right at the end of it, we still got to walk out those consequences that fall out. 
But as Pastor Farrell or as Scott has said, I know I've heard it countless times, life is meant to be lived forward and understood looking backwards. And I can see that my countercultural kindness led Scott to repentance. And that's just a short version of our story. There's a longer version on our website, intentionallyyours.org. Or you can message us and, and we'll get that to you. So you might be sitting there thinking, wow, that's great, Sherry. That's like really extreme. We're not on the verge of divorce. My husband's here. I just don't really like him. In fact, I'd rather spend time with the kids. Or maybe that guy at work who just started a couple weeks ago. Well, my encouragement remains the same. Because you know what? God's word doesn't change based on your circumstances. And Scott and I are not perfect. We have lots of opportunity to exercise things like kindness. It's kind of funny that we've been steeped in this kindness thing for the last month. But about a month ago, Scott and I downsized from my station wagon to a little tiny car, which I was very excited about. And when we got it, Scott said, wow, I think this would probably fit in the garage. It wouldn't take much to make space for that. And I was like, hey, that sounds pretty cool, especially as the first snowstorm came. I'm thinking, wow, that would be a really good idea, right? So Scott and I were sick that week. We didn't do anything in the garage. Poor Fiona, which is what I named my car, sat outside in the snow as we sat on the sofa taking all sorts of cold remedies. And then, you know, last weekend rolled around, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, it's going to be really warm on Sunday. And they're talking about more snow. And so Sunday afternoon, last Sunday afternoon, Scott had been working on the message all morning, really pouring himself into it, getting it finalized in tweaks and working really hard. And he decided to take a break, and he headed for the sofa to just sort of hang out and read, maybe watch a little TV. I said, honey, what do you say we go make a little space for Fiona? Because it's going to snow later in the week. And he looked at me really quickly and said, mm, no. <laughs> I'm relaxing. This is some me time. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, maybe it's because Pastor Farrell said a couple weeks ago to ask once, ladies, right, not nag. I'm thinking, that wasn't really nagging. I was just asking. So I did what any woman would do, right? I went and took the laundry out of the dryer, brought it to the bedroom, and I was folding angry, right? Come on, you've done it. And I'm folding. And as I'm folded angry, my mind is running down that slippery slope of, what a jerk. I can't believe he's sitting out there on the sofa instead of making a space in the garage for the cute little car because it's snowing. What a jerk. I can't believe he's so insensitive. And I'm calling him all these things that I would never call him, that would never come from my mouth, except for apparently on a Sunday morning in front of all you people. <sighs> Sorry, honey. Oops. And so I caught myself, and I'm thinking, you know, he's out there working on a message on kindness, and I'm sitting here slandering him in my mind. So I was like, God, what am I supposed to do, right, because I don't want to nag. And what did God tell me? He said, Sherry, bless your husband. You saw that garage. It is a bit overwhelming. He said, you're the organizer in the family. What if you just blessed him? I was like, Really, God? Did, did you hear me? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, really. And remember what a good man he is, because your thoughts will lead to your words, will lead to your actions, dot, dot, dot. So with a renewed attitude, I went to the garage. 
Now, you know, ladies, there are two ways that I could be going to the garage, right? I could be going to the garage, or I could be going to the garage, right, to make sure everybody in the house knows I'm going to the garage because he didn't clean out the garage. So I chose to walk kindly to the garage, and honestly, it is a little car, and I only, only had to move a couple of bicycles and some Christmas decorations, and that was it. The car fit in the garage. And then I looked around, I'm like, well, you know, I could work a little bit on the bench right there and maybe throw out some of that stuff because we're never going to use that. And before I knew it, Scott had joined me in the garage and we were working together and it turned out to be a much different day than it would have been had I not chosen kindness. So know that we're in the same battle you guys are. And, and like Jane was singing, Choose to do it anyway. Choose to be kind anyway. And it starts here with your kind thoughts, which will lead to kind words, which will lead to kind actions, kind habits, and kind character. Thank you. Awesome. Good job. <clears throat> She's great. I didn't, uh, I didn't really know how angry she was, really, even till just, <clears throat> till just now. So, thanks for that. Uh, it's good to know. I didn't know you could fold angry. So, uh, really, really quickly, let's talk about, real quick, about Romans 2, in Romans 2, about uh, what repentance is, right? So, if God's kindness is designed to lead us to repentance, what is repentance? Why is that important? Well, Repentance is really uh, just a military term that means to turn around. Uh, it's a military term that described a soldier going in one direction, and he did a 180 and started going in the other direction. So repent is really a, de a description of what happens when you come to Christ. You no longer reject him, reject Christ, but now you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, and you do a spiritual about face, which changes everything. You change your mind about your relationship with Christ, but you also change your mind. You, you repent about the way that you feel about sin. And you, through that process of sanctification, which again is the lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus, you learn more and more how to turn away from that sin. Part of turning away from that sin is learning how to be obedient to what God expects of us. What God expects of us. So, again, we have to go back to remembering that we are 100% responsible for doing what God expects of us regardless of what others are doing. We're 100% responsible for doing what God expects of us. God expects obedience of us. He does not expect excuses. God does not expect excuses. And why does he expect this obedience? Not because he's a taskmaster and you have to check all the right boxes, right? That's religion. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a good and loving father who only wants what's best for you. And the way that you attain what's best for you, that God wants for you, is through obedience to what his word says to do. It's really just, you know... God wants us to live inside, not have God in a box, 
But he wants to, to have us in this box that is this place of protection. He, he wants that obedience from us so that we don't experience that fallout. Right? How many, how many people have experienced the consequences? Okay? Okay, including me, four of you. So, yeah, repent. <laughs> okay? Because we've all experienced fallout. Because we all have sinful nature. We've all experienced that, and God just wants us to have what's best, have what's best for us. I'm just going to go really quickly through Colossians 3, 12 through 25. And again, I don't have it up here, but if you have your Bibles, Colossians 3, 12 through 25. And here's some practical steps. Again, this is Paul who wrote this. Some practical steps for how to be kind to people, how to be kind. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place. Or in other words, be willing to give up your right to be right. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing, right? Don't go outside of what God wants you to do. And whose responsibility is it to figure out what God wants you to do? Yours. It's our responsibility as pastors and teachers and counselors to teach you and give you godly counsel and all that. But nobody can drag you to a place where you want healing and help and hope. Nobody can force you to repent, right? It's what we've been talking about this morning. You have to do, want to do that. None of this going off and doing your own thing and cultivate thankfulness. Cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, your words, your actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master Jesus. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. Now, sometimes when we're in a situation where we're being sanctified, right, where we're going through a difficult time, where we're going through a stressful period in our lives, or a very, very uh, hard time in our lives, we, we, that's painful. It's painful. But I will tell you that the best way to... to Allow God to open up your heart and, and just experience the change he wants to have happen in you during that hard time is to thank him for it. It is counterintuitive, right? When you are getting beat down time and time again, you're going through a hard, hard period in your life, and it just seems like it doesn't stop coming. I'll tell you the, the, the best way to, to keep from being angry and bitter and hurt by that is to thank God for that storm. 
Thank God for that storm. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, if you want your wives to submit to you biblically, you have to provide leadership and a mission that is worthy of submission. You hear me, gentlemen? Provide a mission for your household that is worthy of your wife's submission, and it will make it so much easier for her to do that. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Thank her for what she does for you. Bring her flowers for no reason, right? Help her fold the laundry so she doesn't fold it angry, (laughs) right? Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you will crush their spirits. And parents, I just want to say this to you. What we model is as important as what we teach. What your children see is what they're going to catch. And if you don't want them to have the relationships and the marriage that you have right now, you better do something different. Because they are watching you. And they will have the relationship that you have right now. And I'm not talking just marriages, I'm talking relationships. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by, do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving in Christ, the sullen servant who does shoddy work, will be held responsible. We are all going to stand and be held responsible one day. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Now that is the word of God, and it is pretty clear. It is pretty clear. There is really no excuse. There's no, it's right there in God's word. And if it's there for me, it's there for you, it's there for you, it's right there for you to get. Now, you may pick up your Bible and go, I don't even understand what that says right there. That's okay. That's all right. None of us fully understand what it means. None of us are God. All right, get into a life group, get some counsel, get with some other people, get into a Bible study, be in community, and learn what the Word of God says. Don't ignore what God would have you to do just to satisfy your flesh, just, to satisfy, just so you can be right about things. Don't ignore, don't turn away from, so you can repent you're, you're going in this direction and it's a way away from God, right? And you can repent and turn back from God. Well, guess what? You can turn away from God and go the direction you're not supposed to go to. Resist the urge to satisfy your flesh. Water from that well will always leave you thirsty. It will always leave you thirsty. Now, on Wednesdays in March... We're going to be kicking off a uh, teaching on relationships here at the Princeton campus. 
And how many of you ladies were at the women's event back in January? Quite a few of you, awesome. Shanti Feldhahn, who's, who was the main speaker for that event, is gonna be back here at the Princeton campus to kick off those teachings on relationships in March. And we're gonna do, do them every Wednesday throughout the month of March. March. So you wanna come back and, and be a part of that. We're gonna be talking about all types of relationships, not just marriage here, all types of relationships, and how God's word can show you how to have those relationships that God wants you to have. Now, if you're struggling in a relationship or with conflict, please don't feel shame or guilty about what we've talked about this morning because you've gone the wrong direction, done the wrong things, right? You're experiencing the fallout, you're experiencing the, conflict, uh, the consequences. Listen, shame is from the enemy. Shame and guilt are from the enemy. Conviction is from God. Okay, conviction is from God. Go ahead and feel conviction. Go ahead and feel that, all right? It's, here's what conviction is. It's God saying, I have a better plan for you. And you might say, I don't even know what that is. Okay, that's all right. Just start heading in that direction. Just take the first step towards whole, wholeness and healing. Respond to that conviction by doing something different right now. The first thing you might have to do, the first thing you might have to do is to finally turn your life over to Christ. You might have to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step. Matter of fact, when I sit down with folks, that's one of the first things I wanna know. Where are you at with this relationship? Because if you think of the image of a cross, the vertical part of the cross supports the horizontal, right? So your vertical relationship with God supports what? Your horizontal relationships. And if this part is not where it needs to be or solidly implanted in the ground, what happens to the horizontal? It can't be supported. It can't be the way it's supposed to be. It can't be the way that God wants it to be. So this relationship has to be where it needs to be. And the first step of that process is accepting Christ as your Savior. We're gonna have people up here at the altar at the end of the service. If you wanna pray, we're gonna be here to pray with you, okay? And take that first step. I'm gonna pray right now and close us out.